Let's begin our sermon with prayer. We pray, dear Jesus, we thank you for being our guide through life. We thank you for coming to our world and experiencing life so you know what it's like. And we thank you for sending us your word to teach us and to guide us. Please teach us and guide us this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to, to each and every one of us to strengthen us and encourage us in our faith and our Christian living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was game one of the NBA Finals. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Golden State Warriors. And there were five seconds left in this game at Oracle Arena in California. Five seconds left, the score was tied, 107 to 107. The Cleveland Cavaliers were shooting a free throw for the lead, and they missed. But their small forward, a man named J.R. Smith, did something awesome. With one arm, he fended off Kevin Durant, who would later win the NBA Finals MVP, fended him off, one-handed, he caught the rebound, pulled the ball down, dribbled out to the top of the key, and the entire crowd arose in anticipation of cheering for this last-second game-winning shot that was about to be attempted. Except then, J.R. Smith did something that no one was quite expecting. After dribbling to the top of the key, he just kept dribbling. He dribbled all the way up to half court, and he calmly continued to dribble as though he was just waiting for the clock to expire. And his teammates started to yell at him, what are you doing? And, and he is looking around, and finally, at the last second, he passed it to someone, but they didn't nearly have time to really take a game-winning shot. And so with the score still tied, the game just went to overtime. And then in overtime, the Cavs lost. So what in the world had happened? Well, it was really very simple. J.R. Smith had lost track of the score. For some reason, he thought that his team was winning. And so once he got his hand on the ball, all he had to do was run out the clock, and then they would win. Not the case. Not the result. And uh, needless to say, J.R. Smith's teammates were not, shall we say, super enthused about how all of this went down. I think LeBron James's reaction <laughs> kind of says it all. Have you seen this picture? This became a meme that was just being used like for, in all kinds of contexts across the internet. Um, so LeBron James had scored 51 points in the game, and they still lost basically because of this mistake by JR. So what many people didn't know at this time was LeBron was so upset after the game that in the locker room he punched his hand into the whiteboard, and he really seriously injured his hand, which ended up being one of the contributing factors to the fact that not only did the Cavaliers lose the NBA Finals, they didn't even win a game. They got totally swept, four to zero. So it was all downhill after this moment when J.R. Smith boxed out Kevin Durant and got his hands on the ball. So what lessons can we learn from our, our poor friend J.R. here? Well, I think in the game of basketball, right, there are serious consequences for losing track of the score and wasting time. I think you could also say, in life, in a way it's similar, there can be serious consequences for losing track of the score and wasting time. So last week we started a sermon series on this whole topic of time, and in that first sermon last week we unfolded this just ironic situation that human beings find ourselves in. So here is the situation. On the one hand, we all know that our time on Earth is limited. Like, we have no questions about this. None of us thinks that we're immortal. 
we all know that we're eventually going to run out of time. Eventually, one day, as the kids very happily said, one day we're going to die. But it's true. Like, one day our life is going to end. This is not a surprise to us. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of when. So we know our days are limited. And you'd think, then, that knowing this is a situation, we would be using them as wisely as we can. We'd be trying to spend our time on the things that are most important. But strangely, we don't. In fact, we do kind of literally the opposite sometimes, where we waste our time and we spend our time on things that are clearly foolish and unproductive and, and just clearly wrong, and we know it all along. Meanwhile, we fail to spend our time on the things and the people that we really know are most important. We're acting like we have unlimited time, even though we completely know that we don't. It's kind of strange how we do this. But we all do this, and it's, it's very foolish. So today, in our sermon text, what Paul does is he dives deeper into this unfortunate situation of sinful people living in a sinful world. And there's many different things he says about it. Here are just a couple of key words that he uses to, to focus our, our minds on this topic. The first word, and probably the main one, is darkness. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine that you're in a room full of people who are all trying to navigate and walk around and find their way, and the room is completely pitch black. Can't even see your hand in front of your face. But then you, in this imaginary story, you are the one that has night vision goggles, so you can see. As you look around through those goggles, how foolish does everybody else look, right? You've got this one guy that's like feeling his way along the wall, and you've got these other two people that have crashed into each other, and this lady, for some reason, is crawling on the floor. You're like, what are you doing? If you could turn the lights on, if you could see how foolish you all look, you'd, you'd laugh at yourselves. But you can't see because you're in the dark, and when you're in the dark, you're just feeling your way along trying to figure it out. Maybe this is what God feels like when he looks down at our world, and he sees sinful people trying to navigate this limited amount of time he's given to us, and he's made it clear we know it's limited, and we're just flailing around, and what are you guys doing, right? Walking around in the darkness. Another key word Paul uses is the word fruitless. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so the idea here, I guess, and it rhymes, so I thought that's kind of cool, is that deeds are like seeds. Maybe that should have been the, the sermon theme. Deeds are like seeds. That when you do things, you expect there to be a result. Right? And if you do the right things at the right time in the right way, then hopefully, probably, there should be a good result. There should be a good fruit that grows from that seed. Now, if you do the wrong things, if you do things that are just clearly foolish and not wise, then you're not maybe expecting that good fruit is going to grow from that. So what would a fruitful life on this earth look like spiritually? Well, it would be a life of trying to connect with God, because eventually we're going to go and see him. And knowing what we know from the Bible about God's love for us and what God wants for us, a fruitful life would be a life full of love for other people, serving other people and ultimately trying to share with other people the good news of what God has done for them. That would be a fruitful life with everlasting fruit that comes from it. And yet, in our sinful state, we are drawn to fruitlessness, where we waste our time, we spend our time on sinful pleasures, we spend our time really any way we can possibly think of besides spending it to connect to God. And then this idea of 
fruitlessness just gets a little bit more serious when we think of Jesus' parables, that he talks about gardening and plants, and in some of Jesus' parables, he talks about a fruitless plant and what happens to a plant that bears no fruit. Well, eventually, Jesus says, the gardener is going to chop off those limbs and throw them in the fire. So Paul then uses one more word as we're getting more and more serious, I think, about like the consequences of how we live our lives. His, his third word here is ashamed. And this is an interesting one because all people in the world, whether they are Christians or not, whether they believe in God or not, all people in the world feel at times guilt and shame over just our selfish, short-term behavior patterns that we have. Maybe we're so ashamed of some of the things that we do that we try to hide them from everybody else. And Paul talks about that. He says, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Right? So we're disobeying God, we're ashamed, we're hiding it, covering it up. But how foolish, because you can't hide things from God. God sees and knows everything. Paul says everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Or as Moses said in our psalm last week, if you were listening last week or you were here, Moses said this. He said, God, you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. God's holiness and God's perfection enables him to see everything. We can't hide anything. There are no secrets from God. So, summing up, here's the situation. It's quite a bit worse than having the basketball rebound and not knowing how much time is left on the clock or not knowing what the score is. Our situation is that as human beings with this limited lifespan that we have, we are using it to, to blunder around in the darkness. We're making poor and unfruitful decisions. We're acting like we have all the time in the world when clearly we do not. And then we feel guilty about ways we've messed up, so we just try to cover it all up even though there's no covering things up from God. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So this kind of a text, and it's not the only one in the Bible, it starts to make us uncomfortable on this topic, right? When we're evaluating our life and how we do things and the things that maybe only we know about that we're doing or that we're hiding, and then it's like it's just wide open and God can see it all and God can see how foolish all of it is. It doesn't make us very comfortable. Now, this is a primary reason, I think, that so many people want nothing to do with God. This is really interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this in your friends and in your relationships and interactions, that there are lots of people in our world, and I think our world in general, it's very logical, it's very practical, it's very thoughtful, right? People want to have a reason for how they do things, they want to think things through. And so people are very practical in every area of life, but then when it comes to spiritual things, people all of a sudden just don't want to talk about it well, who knows if there's a God? How can any of us know for sure? Who knows how God feels about us? I mean, are we really supposed to figure that out? Why don't we all just live as good of a life as we can? And I don't know. It'll be fine. I guess that would be a logical approach if we didn't 100% know that one day we're going to die and we're going to stand before whatever God there is. If there is one thing to spend our life maybe logically thinking about, and trying to figure out, maybe it should be God, and how does he feel about us, and how is he going to treat us? So what is it that makes otherwise rational people so irrationally uninterested when it comes to topics like God and religion, particularly when they know their lifespan is limited? 
What makes people so irrational? Well, there's different reasons, but at the bottom, I think one of the main reasons is simply fear. If there is a God this big, if there is a God so powerful, he can see into every corner of your life. If there is a God who is so holy and just that he could hold you accountable for every second you've ever, ever spent, that's kind of terrifying, isn't it? And so people, sinful people, want to run from God with the light of his perfection shining down on us, our instinctive reaction is to scatter like roaches when the light comes on. But you are here, we are here, because there's something we learn in the Bible that you can't learn anywhere else in the world. And what we learn in the Bible is that God's light shining down into every crack and crevice in our heart is actually a good thing. God's light illuminating every second of our life is a good thing. And Paul knows this because he breaks into now what apparently is an early Christian hymn. And here is what it says. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is something the very early Christians were saying. Maybe they were singing it. And this is, it's like the Apostles' Creed, but much shorter. This is a statement of their faith. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. So now I want you to imagine something else. Imagine, you know, in a vacuum, put our lives aside. Imagine one life that is lived perfectly. A life that has been lived in exactly the right way, built on all the right priorities. A life where every day and hour and minute and second is intentional, right? It's used exactly in the right way. Not a second of this perfect life is wasted. And imagine a life where you could light it up, you could shine a light into every little corner, and there would be absolutely nothing to hide. This is a life that you would be proud to show everybody, including every word, every thought, everything you've ever done. Imagine a life like that, a righteous life. Well, there once was a life like that. It was lived by a man named Jesus, who is not just a man, He's also the Son of God. And Jesus lived that whole life for a purpose. He lived that life so it would count for you, so that you could be rewarded for it. It's kind of like Jesus came and, and checked in and worked a work shift, a perfect shift, and then you get to receive the paycheck. So we say this all the time, Jesus' perfect life counts for you. But just think about what this looks like when you think of what Jesus' life was like. We heard the gospel reading this morning, and you think of how Jesus, even when he got really famous, even when he got really popular, he never stopped seizing every moment to help a single individual, like healing and showing love to this blind man. You think of the way that everything Jesus ever did was oriented around the big picture that he never lost sight of, which was the growth of God's kingdom and the salvation of souls. You think about the way Jesus made the most of every opportunity. You remember his quote when he was about to heal that blind man? He said, nighttime is coming. We must work while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus lived a perfect life where he never wasted a single second. And in God's book, that life counts for you. You have nothing to be ashamed of before God because Jesus' life counts for you. 
Do you feel the pressure lifting off when you think of all the details of Jesus' life and all of this just counts for you? That this is the role God's Son came to play in your life is not to be your judge and not to condemn you, but to be your rescuer and your replacement. If this is what God has been planning to do for us the whole time, well, then maybe it's not so bad having God shine his light into every dark corner after all. And this, I I just can't talk about this point without thinking about one of my favorite psalms, which is Psalm 32. I don't know if you remember Psalm 32. It's one of a couple psalms where King David is talking about guilt and sin in his life. And in Psalm 32, he's describing the negative effect of trying to cover up his own sin. When he tried to cover up his own sin, here is what David said it felt like. When I kept silent, my bones were wasting away. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then he finally opened up his heart to God and confessed. He said, then I confessed my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. And so this is David's conclusion. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Not covered by us, sketchily trying to hide our sins from God, trying to hide them from everybody else. We cover it up so nobody else knows what we're doing. But covered by God. Covered because we've opened our hearts in repentance to God. God can see everything. And God has covered over every sinful thought, word, and action with the perfect blood of his son who died on the cross to save us. Again, If this is what God is going to do for us, maybe it's not such a bad thing that God is able to shine his light into our lives and see every last corner. And so now that we've got God's light shining on us and illuminating us, now our whole lives begin to change and begin to look differently. Now we can see things that we couldn't see before because we were walking in the darkness. We can see how much God loves us. We don't have to be afraid of him. We can see how much God has planned for us that when our life on this earth inevitably ends, we're going to get to go to heaven. And we can see, while we are here on earth, just how valuable our days and hours and minutes and seconds are, as this is a limited amount of time we get this side of heaven to serve our loving God. So Paul says, Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You notice that change. It's not just God has shined his light on you, but God has now made you into the light. You are part of what God is shining into the world. So live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord and do it. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, because time in this world is running out. So, this side of heaven, we are still sinful. We are not going to use all of our time perfectly. But, by God's grace, we can begin to view our time, even now, even flawed and sinful though we are, we can start to view our time with the appropriate urgency. And we can recognize that as children of God, here is our real situation now. We know that we're going to be spending all eternity with God in a perfect heaven. But right now, is the only time we will ever get to do the gritty, exciting work of serving God in a world that is still fallen. You're going to have all eternity in heaven to know exactly what God is doing. 
right? When you're in heaven, you're going to have no questions about what God's plan is. You're like, this is perfect. God is awesome. You're going to have eternity in heaven to have perfect understanding of God's plan. But right now is the time where you don't, right? Right now is the time where you don't understand what God is doing. And so now is the only time you're ever going to get to walk by faith and not by sight because you can't see him yet. Again, you're going to have all eternity in heaven to be surrounded by people who 100% agree with you about God. Everybody in heaven is going to be a Christian. Everybody in heaven is going to be excited. But until you get there right now, this is the only time you're ever going to have to walk around in a world of darkness. You're now a person of the light, but this is the only chance you'll ever have to shine your light to other people. You're going to have all eternity in heaven to worship God with millions of angels and with believers from across time. That's going to be awesome. Who's not going to want to worship God with millions of angels singing as a chorus behind you? But right now is the only time you are ever going to get to come and worship God when nobody else is doing it. When it's countercultural, when people think that it's strange, you have a chance right now where you get to worship God this side of heaven, a thing that so many people don't even know how to do. In heaven, you're going to have an eternity of time to rest. Right now is the only time you get to work while it is day, to impact the people around you. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at this in greater detail, different areas of life, different priorities that God gives us. But I just pray that this next month, month and a half, God would fill us with excitement to recognize the opportunity that we have. This is our time to work while it's day, to make the most of every opportunity, to use our limited time here on earth the best that we possibly can so that by the end of our life it can be said, not only did Christ shine on us and make us God's children, but Christ shined, shone through us to the world and other people are in heaven because God's light came to them through the way that our time on this earth was used. May God grant that amazing blessing to all of us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.